Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. Glad to have you all with us as we continue to talk about the church. Now, I was going to uh, jump right into my topic today, but I see a statement here from Keith. If we were to worship as they did in Jesus' time, would he not have told us to do it that way? All right, now, you've been with us through this whole series. Think about that question for a minute. Worship. I assume what you mean by that is how we gather on Sunday morning. And what I've been saying through this whole thing is the scripture does not say you go to worship. Worship is not a service. It is not a place. It is not a meeting. Worship is our entire lives. So Jesus did tell us to worship the same way in every age. Our entire life is to worship him. We're talking about what is the church to do as a gathering, as as the body of Christ, a local church. And what we see in the New Testament is they gathered for the apostles' teaching, for fellowship, for the breaking of bread together, for prayer together, to edify one another. They did not gather to go to this building and have some person get up and lecture at them for a while and go through rituals and that kind of thing. That has all been man-made. And there's nothing in the scripture about that. Jesus wouldn't need to to tell us not to do that because it wasn't even a thing at that time. So just want to address that question. Keep thinking about that again. And, and you're not the only one. Other people who've asked questions, worship, we are just so... Um, we, we've been trained that worship is that thing you do on Sunday morning in that place for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. The New Testament knows nothing of that and calling it worship. So just want to address your question. You put it out there. Let me uh, respond there. So along with that, that actually ties in just fine. We talked yesterday about elders and and what elders are Uh, supposed to be doing. We got into that a little bit. We got into some of the qualifications of elders from Titus. And I want to go back there because here's, I know I'm going to get pushback on this and that's fine, but let's, let's talk through this. Okay. I am not trying to provoke anyone unnecessarily here. I am, I am trying to open our eyes to the scripture compared to where things are. And if I'm wrong, great, correct me. I'm happy to be corrected. I'm I'm gonna make an assumption about most of my audience here. I'm assuming that most of you come from um, somewhat reformed circles, uh, reformed Baptist, maybe some some folks who have who've transitioned from some sort of reformed theology to new covenant theology that that tends to be who follows me and maybe i'm wrong and if i'm wrong then please let me know i'd love to know more about my audience but i'm assuming there's a there's a confessional aspect there's a um anyway well i just want to say i'm making some assumptions about my audience and and i may be wrong and i want to be corrected if i'm wrong there is a a love for headiness for theology 
among a lot of Christians. And by theology, I mean systematic theology. At its root, theology just means um, study of God. Well, of course, we're all studying God. So theology is good as it, at taking that far. But systematic theology, uh, coming out of confessional groups, whether it's you know uh, Westminster Confession or uh, the other, the Dutch Reformed, or the 1644, 1646, if you want to set yourself apart from the uh, 1689 group, all those debates, and some of you don't even know what those debates are, uh, but that's a lot of the background that we have. And so often, here's what we do. We send our pastors to seminary to get trained in some system of traditional theology, and as we've talked in the past, then they come and, and they are hired to preach on a regular basis, and they dig in to their theology, they get their commentaries, we've, we've talked about that, uh, how the typical pastor goes through and you know reads commentaries and basically regurgitates what they learn from the commentaries, and of course they're going to find commentaries that agree with their tradition, their theological perspective, that kind of thing. We call that sound doctrine. We call that conservative theology, and we make a big deal of that. Is that what the scripture is preoccupied with, what elders are supposed to be teaching? We make abstractions. We make complexity. Had a comment, uh, a conversation briefly uh, last night with a friend who uh, there's a discussion, debate, uh, well, that may may not quite be the right characterization, but... Um, there was some teaching on the impassibility of God. Or at least that was the spark of the controversy. Now, uh, are we going to find in the New Testament a, uh, a lot of discussion on the impassibility of God? If You've got the church gathered and you're teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. How much time do we need to spend on the impassibility of God? Some of you may not even know what that word means. Uh, in most theology books, there's a, a big section on uh, the attributes of God. And men have defined these attributes. And if you don't hold them exactly the way that some of the traditional authors contain them, um, you know, you're unorthodox. You're, you're on the verge of liberalism, that kind of thing. And impassibility, impassibility. There's a there's a view that God can't experience emotion, and so you come to a text that says God grieved, and they say, "Well, he didn't really grieve." What are you telling your people when you say, "I know it says he grieved, but he really didn't grieve because it's impossible for God to grieve because God can't suffer any difficulty, and grieving is a form of you know of suffering, so God can't actually grieve." So now you're telling your people. Yeah, I know the Bible says this, but our theology says something different. All right, you're not here for all that, but I I just needed to introduce that because let's look back at Titus again and see what was uppermost mind in Paul's mind for sound doctrine. Good morning, Dale. (laughs) Curious to see what sacred cow gets butchered today. (laughs) Keith says he covered on the cross, suffered on the cross. Yes, uh, Jesus, the man, suffered on the cross. Exactly. And Jesus is God, right? Um, And that's exactly, that's a really hard concept if you 
drive home to your people, God can't suffer, God can't suffer, and then you've got Jesus suffering. And but but even that one, that one's easier because the suffering on the cross is the man Jesus, not deity. But you've got other places that specifically say that God grieved. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Genesis 6, 1, I think it is, says that uh, God was sorry that he even made man on earth. And most theologians jump to, when if they're teaching on that verse, they jump to immediately, God can't be sorry for anything, even though the Bible says he was sorry. All right, so let's get back to Titus here for a second. So we looked at this yesterday. Uh, Paul says, I left you in Crete. He's talking to Titus. I left you in Crete to set in order what remains to appoint elders. And then he gives these qualifications, right? Above reproach, husband of one wife, uh, not self-willed, not addicted to, to wine, and so on. All these uh, uh, character traits. Notice he didn't say, if any man's been to seminary, if any man holds to all the right theological systems. These are all character traits. It's one of the reasons I think the husband of one wife is probably more about his devotion to his wife than it is a status being a, uh, a monogamist rather than a polygamist. Because everything else here is, is character. He doesn't say anything about how much he's been trained theologically. Now, it's early in the church, true, but it's high character. Now, he does get into the importance of teaching here in a moment. Look, the, the one who's going to be an elder has to hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. See that? So if you're going to be an elder, you've got to hold fast to a word, the faithful word, which corresponds to the teaching, whatever the teaching is. Is that the Augsburg Confession? Westminster Confession, 1689, 1644? Obviously not. Those didn't come around for over a thousand years, 1500 years. Why does the elder need to hold fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching? So that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. I would be willing to bet that most elders in the circles we run in who teach on this text would now start to amplify the importance of systematic theology. He says here, hold fast to things that are in accordance with the teaching so that he'll be able to exhort in sound doctrine. And now let's pull out our theology. 1689, 1644, Westminster, attributes of God, whatever your tradition is. Is that what Paul's concerned about? Is that what he tells Titus to be concerned about? Is that sound doctrine in Paul's mind, that you have all the attributes of God correct and you have your ecclesiology, your soteriology, your pneumatology, all theologies correct. Well, let's see what he says. I should also just highlight the elder elders are supposed to exhort in sound doctrine, which we're, we're still yet to define, 
and refute those who contradict. Do your elders do that? If you are an elder, we'll come back to that. Why? Why is Paul concerned about this? For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. So especially the Jews. They're rebellious. Their talk is empty. They're deceiving. They must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families. Teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Their testimony is true. For the, this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. So there's something that these Jews are teaching that are turning people away from the truth and they're upsetting whole families. To the pure, all things are pure. To those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Do you see the connection here between what these false teachers are teaching and worthless deeds, disobedience, actions that are evil. It's not abstraction. It's not mere they have the wrong view of some aspect that our theologians have told us is true of God. But as for you, Titus, Speak things which are fitting for sound doctrine. He's used that phrase now twice. He's using what theologians would call an inclusio. <laughs> Let me give you the bookends for what really matters here. We're talking about sound, healthy doctrine, the teaching. So we would expect Paul to launch into some systematic theology teaching because that's what sound doctrine is, right? We have to hold to the, the right view of all of our attributes and so on. What is this sound teaching? Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. That's the sound teaching. Older men. Are you an older man? You're to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women. Are you an older woman? Likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. <laughs> he only gives the young men one. <laughs> it's like if young men can learn to be sensible, everything else will take care of itself. Like, this is all they can handle. Teach them to be sensible. In all things, and now he's talking to, Tim, to Titus again, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine. Systematic theology? No. 
dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Character, character, character. So that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their masters. And so on. Sound doctrine, sound teaching is older men. Don't be out of control. Be temperate. Be sober. Older men, have a reverence. Carry yourself with a certain dignity. Be wise, older men. Be men who are characterized by love. That is sound doctrine according to the Apostle Paul. Do your elders teach that? How much time do they spend on that? If you are an elder, how much investment of your time and teaching is to teach older men to be of high character? And then we come to places where elders dare a dread to tread. <laughs> Do your elders teach older women to be reverent in their behavior? Would you would your elders have the guts to call an older woman out and say, you know, that's that's just uh rather profane it, it it it's disrespectful how you're behaving malicious gossips do we even believe that older women could be malicious gossips we're not really allowed to say that today are we see what the culture has done the culture has with feminism and cultural marxism and political speech uh, controls and all that, we are not allowed to say there's specific temptations to different sexes. I think the reason why Paul tells older men to be temperate is there's a temptation for older men to be a little bit out of control. That, that stereotype of the, the older man who gets kind of crotchety, lets loose, Things that he would never have said 20 years ago. What's he got to lose, right? He's going to die one of these days. Who cares? That seems to be a temptation to older men. And Paul tells Titus, you need to instruct them not to be like that. And similarly, there is a temptation for older women to sit around and talk about people. Paul says, hey, Titus, tell them not to do that. The kids are out of the house. They've got some time on their hand. Move around, talk about people, drink. Instead, he says, tell them to teach what is good. Why? So that they, the older women, may encourage young women to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject, submissive is the word, 
to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. How much dishonor is being brought to the word of God in churches today because young women are not sensible, they're not kind, they don't submit to their husbands, they don't love their children, they farm them out to somebody else to raise them. And those women go to churches where their pastors and elders are holding fast the conservative confessions of the faith and sound theology as man has described sound theology. They go to good, strong, conservative churches, but their homes are out of control. And they are dishonoring the word of God because elders are teaching abstractions whether or not God experiences suffering instead of teaching the older women to teach the younger women to stop it. There's a reason the church, broadly speaking, and I'm using the term very, very loosely here, but there's a reason why we are not having an impact in the world, while we are no different from the world, why our families are a mess, because elders have dropped the ball. We've been seduced by rational, logical, systematic theology created by man. And we exalt that as the end-all be-all rather than obedience to the commands of Christ. Look what Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy. Realizing the fact the law is not made for a righteous person, and this has a context and it would be, we should go back and look at it, but just let me make the point that, uh, that I want to make here. The law is for, uh, not for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, the ungodly sinners, unholy, profane, who kill their fathers and mothers, murderers, immoral men, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. Again, he uses the word sound teaching, sound doctrine, and his concern is behavior, lawlessness, rebelliousness, profaneness, killing parents, murderers, immoral men, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, perjurers. Those things are all contrary to sound teaching but we uphold systematic theology, confessional theology as the big deal. One more, 1 Timothy 6. All who are under the yoke as slaves, and he's talking about actual slaves, are to regard their own masters as worthy of honor, all honor. Why? So that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Doctrinal teaching should lead to a slave who honors his master. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren. In other words, if you're a slave and you have a master and you're both Christians, 
doesn't mean you get to disrespect him because he's your master, but instead must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he's conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words. How much of our conservative theological teaching, sermonizing, preaching is preoccupied with these words of men while we are morally weak? Our character is rarely being addressed. So elders aren't holding men to this. And men, therefore, are not holding their wives and children to this. And older women are not teaching younger women. Older men are not teaching younger women. And we have a lot of Christians who are very astute in systematic theology based on man's words while we ignore God's words. Character, behavior. This is the Great Commission. Baptize them and teach them to obey all that I have commanded. How different would things look in the church, in the world, if this was our greatest concern instead of theology, systematic theology? I'm not getting a lot of comments. I know. I know. This is hard. Hopefully it's hitting some in a good place. Put your comments in the uh, video. Uh, I'll love to interact with your questions. Come back tomorrow. We'll uh, we'll keep talking about this. Uh, I think I think good things could be coming. I think good things could be happening in the church if we get back to the scriptures' priorities. Have a great day. God bless. We'll see you tomorrow.